I'm going to send us off on a happy note saying, Easton, will it ever get better? Is there hope? <laughs> uh, no, there is not. So for producer JT, I'm your host, Easton Fritton. Uh Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast for Monday, December the 18th. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, Director of Published Content here at BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We're also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network. You can follow me on social media at Easton Freeze. I'm joined, as always, by producer JT, who you can follow on social media at JT underscore Runky. JT, it is, of course, a Sunday evening as we're recording this live for Monday morning in the wake of another Titans home overtime loss. How are you, my friend? I'm pretty good. You know, I, 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 after that game, I decided to turn my brain off for about five hours or so and enjoy, you know, the simple pleasures in life, you know, and enjoy, enjoy something other than football. Touch some, some grass. Yeah. Touch some grass. Sky. Looked at the sky. Look made some chocolate chip cookies from scratch. Homemade. Taste the season. Love yes. that. Yes. It, it was so, you know, still, it's still, uh, still nice to, to, enjoy the finer things outside of Tennessee. Exactly. Titans Sometimes the simpler things are the important things in life. And you're not even a Titans fan and you, and you felt like you needed a, a mental decompression session. I know many Titans fans, many of I mean, we've got uh, dozens of you in here already with us live this evening. And uh, I'm imagining most of you are here to either angrily rant about the Titans or try to, you know, therapy session your way through this. Get it all out there this evening as we recap uh, what we saw today at Nissan Stadium and maybe feel a little bit better heading into your work week. The last work week for many folks before Christmas, which is going to be exciting next weekend. Um, a lot to dive into today. A little bit of a different episode. So I want to prime everyone that's with us here live right now. Um, cool episode for us today. We are a little bit later than typical on a Sunday because uh, of some scheduling things. I had to attend a very ill-timed for me wedding uh, right after the game, which was downtown, um, which, you know, a lot of people are hard line. If you have a wedding in the fall, I hate you and you're a loser. I had a wedding in the fall. I, I don't really care when you have your wedding. Just don't be upset if I can't come because of when you scheduled it, you know, like do, do you, I'm going to do me, not a big deal. Um, but I managed to get to it. I, I felt obligated to go to this one because it's my, my wife's best, best friend growing up and she was in the wedding and all these things. So I attended that and now we're here. And uh, because we are a little bit later and because today broke a lot of Titans fans brains and because this game, based on what we typically do on Sundays, I felt like I had about two and a half hours worth of discussion to have. Um, and I didn't want to get red in the face and like maybe get dehydrated or like um, go hypoxic and like pass out from lack of breathing because I got so animated. I felt like we'll just we'll keep it relatively chill. And I, I want this discussion today we're going to do a little bit shorter of an episode 30 to 45 minutes i want to hear from you all that are with with us live here your thoughts your questions your comments your rants your raves your wailing and gnashing of teeth over this titans team and this titans performance today um so anything you have on this team anything you'd like for us to discuss anything that you you know, would like to present uh, as an opinion for the show or an opinion that I have an opinion that I have that you are w wanting to push back on. Um, this is your opportunity to do so. So for the next 30 to 45 minutes, we are going to do just that. We've got a number of you in the comments already. Jill Morris says, hello. Evan says, hello. Stony with the Sobros network asking, how are you guys not drunk after watching that stupid, dumb, awful game? Stony, believe me, my friend, I would love to be 
but uh, this show would be even more worthless than it already is if that was the case. Kenneth, uh, already with some input on Vrabel, we'll get to all of these things here in just a minute. Stoney's saying he wants us to talk about this for four hours. Uh, no, my answer <coughs> is no, Stoney. I will not subject myself to that, but we will do the next 45 minutes or so. So again, my point in all of this is if you have thoughts, leave them in the YouTube comment section now, okay? If you're watching on Twitter or on uh, Facebook, which a number of you I can see are, Leave there. That's great. That's awesome. But be a part of the conversation by going to YouTube, whether you're on a browser or your YouTube app on your phone, open that and search Broadway Sports Media. That's Broadway Sports Media. Put it in your search bar. Find the account, Broadway Sports Media's account. Find this live stream. And then in the comment section of this live stream on YouTube, that's where you can be a part of the conversation with all the folks that I just mentioned, as well as uh, Kenneth and uh, Kenneth and Kenneth that have joined us and Kyle now in the comments. So uh, I've got a number of pre-submitted questions and comments from Twitter from a, a poll that I ran a little, a little Q and I ran earlier today. And then any questions and comments you have in the, in, in the YouTube comments today, I guarantee this is the only show we do where I will guarantee you every single Titans related question or comment left in today's show will be addressed by name. So this is the opportunity to, to have a dialogue and we would love to, uh, to have that conversation. Hey, help us get as many eyeballs on this live as humanly possible by hitting retweet, by hitting like, by hitting share and sending the link to a buddy who you think might be interested in today's show. We would appreciate that. And then while you're with us on YouTube, if you could hit that subscribe button on Broadway Sports Media's YouTube page, it is free for you and it's very helpful to us as we try to boost those numbers each and every day. So do us a favor and help us out by doing that. One last thing before we dive into today's conversation about the Tennessee Titans and their loss. We have to tell you about our wonderful and amazing sponsors, Boom Boss Craft Pizza and Tap House. It's where we do our shows live each and every Thursday afternoon before Thursday Night Football at 5.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. Boom Boss has great pizza, great drinks, and great televisions for you to watch sports of any kind on three locations in the Middle Tennessee area, in East Nashville, in Murfreesboro, and our home location on Thursdays in Spring Hill, which is about a 20 to 25-minute drive down I-65. Very easy to get to, and it's a great time. So come hang out with us. Get some free food on us, some Boombox gift cards, giveaways we do each and every time we're there. All of those things, it's a good time. So come hang out with our wonderful and amazing sponsors, Boombox, Crab Pizza, and Tap House. Okay, JT, I'm leaning on you hard today to help me uh, live up to my promise uh, of getting to each and every comment. So we don't, you don't need to, you don't need to weed out the bad ones and give me just the good ones like in the past. I need you to just give them to me. <coughs> I'm going to start with, a couple of thoughts I have pro bono, just I'm, things that unprompted. I'm going to get them out there. Um, and then that'll be brief. We'll get to the individual comments and questions. The main thing I want to address before we get to the, the audience is what was the biggest theme all day long and the biggest source of frustration for Titans fans in this game. We're going to talk a lot about Tim Kelly, I'm sure. We're going to talk a lot about Mike Vrabel, I'm sure. We're going to talk a lot about this offense and the offensive line for sure. Um, but in this game in particular, the thing that most folks and rightfully so were infuriated by all afternoon long was the attempt to establish and subsequent failure to do so uh, attempts to establish the run game with Derrick Henry, with Tajay Spears, but primarily with Derrick Henry and just how poor that was. And not just how poor it was JT, but the thing that, clearly ruffled folks feathers the most was the fact that they were insistent on doing it all day long when it was proven early and often to not be effective for them today. And I have the, I have the uh, official release from the team. I picked up in the press box on the way out 
and it, it has all of the uh, stats and the play-by-play, drive-by-drive summary of the game. And I went through watching some of these afternoon games and and, and did some organizational skills, some highlighting and circling to try to get a, a, a grasp on the picture of what it looked like in totality. You know, sometimes when you're watching a game, something feels like it's happening a certain way. And then you go back and you look at the game as a whole and you realize it wasn't really the case and you needed to zoom out a little bit. In in this case, I'm not going to sit here and tell you guys, like, this is not all leading up to me being like, actually, they weren't running the ball too often on first down. No, this is going to be, yeah, you're right. They were running the ball on first down too often. Um, so here are the numbers, right? And folks, I think have already seen this. Derrick Henry on the day, really, really ineffective. We can have a conversation about him as a player if if folks want to later. I'll leave that to the comment section. If we want to talk about how much of it is him and how much of it is the Titans offensive line, we can discuss that. Uh, I think I've made my thoughts on that pretty clear, and I think it's pretty obvious to folks at home that it's certainly a, a combination of both things, dropping the ball a little bit. But in the run game today, he had 16 attempts for nine total yards, averaging 0.6 yards per handoff. Uh, the run game in general wasn't effective sans Derrick Henry. Like I saw a lot of folks saying, you got to just give it up with Derrick Henry. He's washed. He's like, let's get Spears. In. Yeah, Spears was better today. Don't get me wrong. He had nine attempts, but he only had 30 yards, 3.3 yards per uh, 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 run attempt with a long of nine. So he wasn't effective either. They couldn't run the ball, this Titans team, against this Texans run defense, which is dramatically improved from where it was the past really like four years to this year, um, especially between the tackles where you're running Derrick Henry primarily. And so that's why you saw him in particular today really just get nothing. It certainly helps the, the Texans defense. They're going up against one of the most atrocious offensive lines we've seen in a long time. And the Titans offensive line for a while now has been very bad at pass protecting. But this year, what makes them uniquely atrocious and gross and and just a crime against any offensive hope for this team is the fact that their run game is arguably just as bad, if not worse. And it's been game to game kind of up and down. They've had some nice running performances, but recently their ability to reset the line of scrimmage, their ability to not have a blown block on every single run attempt, their ability to mush and get the, you know, get, get their defenders downfield and create openings, create holes and not just be a wall in front of the running back. They, it's all, it's not there. Like every single time they try to run the ball, it feels futile because they are outmatched in the run game almost every single time. And it's infuriating to watch. And so I went through drive by drive JT. And the big gripe was guys, we got like, what are we doing? Running the ball on first down so often when, when this is not working, this Titans team offensively, we know they are not good enough to get behind the sticks and recover from that in a drive on a regular basis. Will Levis allows you to do that more than what you had with Ryan Tannehill. His game making or his, his, his game breaking uh, play making ability allows them to recover when they get behind the sticks more often than in the past. But he's not at that point and the rest of this team around him is certainly not good enough to help him do that on a regular basis. So you've got to, got to, got to stay on schedule. And so I went through every single first down the Titans had today. Uh, there were 22 of them total. Uh, some of them earned, most of them not, most of them just the start of a drive. But I went through and uh, I categorized them into two categories and then two subcategories, right? Runs and passes. 
And then of those runs, which gained any yards and which went for no gain or a loss of yards. So of those 22 first downs, the Titans passed the ball 10 times and they ran the ball 12 times. Not an insane. I mean, that's not an insane split. I think that might surprise a lot of folks who came out of that game thinking all they did was run the ball on first down. No, it was pretty 50-50. But the reason why you feel that way, and I, I hear all of you at home saying, no, 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 that, that can't be true, right? They, they, they were running the ball on first down all the time today, and they were doing so really poorly. The reason you feel that way is because of those 12 runs on first down, six of them went for a positive gain of any amount of yardage, and six of them were a net loss um, or, or, or just a gain of, of no yards. So they had a lot of instances where they were getting behind the sticks on first down because of running. And again, of those six where they gained yards, very, very few of them. I mean, like the, the, the most yards they gained on a run on first down today was five. So here are all of the second downs they were put into off of those runs, right? So 12 first down runs. Here was the second yard down in dist second down, down in distance for all of those in order from best to worst, right? So you had a second and five when you gained five yards. That was the, that was the good run on the day. Then you had a second and seven, second and eight, second and eight, second and nine, second and nine, second and 10. Those are all the ones that didn't lose yards. Um, a lot of those are, you know, you're not behind the sticks. You're on schedule technically if you gain a yard or two or three on, on your run on first down, but it's not really conducive to scoring, you know, to stay on schedule like that, where you are on the margins uh, you know, edge of I'm on schedule, but just barely like I'm exactly on schedule doing the bare minimum and no more that that's a recipe for you, you're not leaving yourself any room for error. And then beyond that, you had a second and 12 second and 13 second and 13 second and 15 and second and 17. Uh, so those five plays where they got behind the sticks and I, I should go back and, and look, maybe I'll, I'll put this on Twitter later this week of those where they lost yards. I'd imagine very few of them turned into anything but a, a punt on that, on that uh, series. And so that's infuriating and that's a problem. And so that leads us to ask the question, wh wh what's the solution? Whose fault? Wh where can we point the fingers? How do you fix this? Right. Um, it's a complicated answer. It's not any one person's solution. Like there's no, there's no one solution uh, to this issue. It is Tim Kelly and the offensive coaching staff has to learn to get away from that earlier because this is not, and I went through, I mean, it's, it's not just all in the first half. In fact, the worst stretch for them in terms of running their heads into the brick wall over and over was at the at the beginning of the second half. And then finally, by the end of the game, they started trying to throw more on first down. But in, in overtime, it was a lot of, of deep shots. And that's another issue that we're going to talk about later this week. Just a, a plug, by the way, for those, those of you with us live, a great episode coming up for you on Tuesday. I've already discussed with our buddy James Foster at No Flags Films. He's going to be joining us on Tuesday. I have a lot of questions for him about Tim Kelly, about this offense, about what he sees on tape. Um, some things that I think uh, some of you may not want to take my word for. So you know what? We're going to bring a guy in that I think you might be even more inclined to trust in terms of tape study and scheme. And we'll, we'll ask his uh, opinion on it. And, and so maybe that will give you some more peace of mind, but it'll be a great opportunity for you to ask any questions you have in terms of X's and O's and the nitty gritty to him. So JT, that's really all, all I wanted to get off my chest here at the beginning. Um, let's start diving into these questions and comments and let's get some of the ones on our uh, on our live comment section out of the way here first. And then I want to dive into some of the ones we got on Twitter. 
Yeah, we can start off here. Uh, Kenneth coming in very passionate here saying losing doesn't matter. I don't care because they're not a playoff team. Sure. But I think he has a sentiment that most fans do today. This is the game that mattered to a lot of people. Uh, they need to win this game and only this game in 2023 a whole season. This was the most important game basically just because of the pomp and circumstance of it all. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it, it certainly meant a lot to this Titans team. Every game does, but even more so for the fans of this team, it was a huge game for them. Well, and it was, it ended up being, you know, it was a high risk, high reward situation. You're wearing the throwbacks against Houston, a team that, you know, a, a fan base, a, a city that clearly is not fond of the fact that the Titans own those throwbacks. And, you know, you pissed them off. And so it, it was a funny idea. You heard a lot coming into the game and I tweeted this out during the game. You heard a lot about how, oh, how blatantly disrespectful of the Titans to wear their Oilers love you blue throwbacks against the Texans. Like that, that's crazy. Can you believe they're doing this? Like they think they're slick getting away. Yes. Like, yep. It's very disrespectful. That's, that's the point. They're divisional rivals. They are being intentionally disrespectful to their divisional rivals, are they supposed to be best buds? Like, are the Ravens and the Steelers particularly respectful to one another? Like, do you think those teams don't take every every opportunity they have to piss one another off? That that's how this works, or it's supposed to, right? Do do you not want great rivalries where teams give each other the finger at every possible avenue? Like, that's what makes an awesome rivalry. I don't understand why people are uh, surprised by the disrespect that they, they didn't just happen to wear their, the throwbacks against Houston. They saw a Houston home game and said, Oh yeah, we're definitely doing that. That's hilarious. It's a great troll. So yeah, now, now Houston's going to talk all that. Yeah. Yeah. All week long as they should, those fans should, you know, they, they beat the Titans with largely a, a, a B team on the road against, you know, in, in the Oilers uniforms. Like that's a, it's a terrible look for the Titans. It's, it's tough, but that's, that's the risk reward you run when you wear those uniforms. Yeah, a couple others chiming in. Kyle says that he was in shock of what he saw today. Um, but then Polar starting to already look for the future as with that game, losing that game, the Titans have officially been eliminated from playoff contention. So th there is no more uh, trying to play both sides of this playoffs or draft position it is now focusing on draft position and the development of young players. But Polar 74 chimes in and says, what are the things the Titans should do in the offseason and what do you think they will do? I hope they keep Vrabel, but I keep reading he will be fired because of this loss. Sure. And and some of these questions, uh, I'm not going to, I mean, I'm going to answer them best my ability, but a question like this, we could spend the next two hours talking yes. about what they should and shouldn't do. We're going to address what exactly they should do in the offseason. You know, we're going to do count, you know, three dozen episodes in the in the winter and the spring on this but from a very 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 broad perspective what i think they should do today in the offseason polar um in terms of Vrabel, absolutely positively you should not fire him no th there are there's plenty to, to gripe with but th no no th this we've, we've been through this he, he is not a coach that is even remotely close to deserving firing given this this personnel situation he has he is not doing less with more. And I think you should only fire coaches when they are doing less with more, when they are minimizing the results um, or the effectiveness of their roster. And that's just not Vrabel right now, in my opinion. Um, 
they have a lot of money to spend in free agency. They should throw that at a wide receiver. Absolutely. They should throw that at a cornerback or two, in my opinion. Absolutely. Um, if, if there are really solid guys, people that you perceive to be really solid interior offensive line options in free agency, um, which is kind of a gray area. I've not, I've not super heavy dove into who isn't, isn't available in the interior market. They should probably do that. They need to reinforce their linebacking core. They could use some depth on the defensive line. Like they need to spend their free agency money pretty much everywhere, but wide receiver and cornerback and interior offensive line are the, the main spots for me. I would say tackle, but there are just not tackles that are guys you want to really bring in and be cornerstone bookend tackles for you on the market like that. Um, and then in the draft, they need to, they need to draft tackle and they need to draft wide receiver and they need to do so really well. They need to get some guys that can come in and start immediately. And so that's the 10,000 foot perspective on what they need to do. But we're going to talk a lot more about the details in the spring. So join us then. Yeah, we can move on here. Evan James taking his perspective on this game from a thousand foot view saying this was a true Titan special build a lead, have a small amount of hope and then watch the lead slowly drip away, which is something sure. that has happened quite a while or quite a lot this season, especially at home in, in these last two home games that the Titans have played. Right. Um, almost the same situation. Yeah. I have, I have nothing to add to that. I mean, it's, it's one of those things with this team did anybody sitting at home watching this game when they get out to a 13 nothing lead think, oh yeah, there's no way they blow this. I don't think anybody that knows this Titans team thought that. I think there's always that inkling in the back of your head. This team could get really stagnant in the second half and lo and behold, they got really stagnant in the second half and that's an issue that they're going to have to address. It It is reflective of the fact that they are not great at adjusting. It's reflective in my opinion and, and halftime adjustments are such a funny thing because like, they aren't going into the locker room and just like pulling out the whiteboard and redrawing their entire game plan. You don't have time to make full blown game plan install adjustments. You've got to make little adjustments and that's up to individual position coaches and players to make them. But more importantly, I think it requires the caliber of player to make adjustments like a certain th threshold of like, you've got to be at least this good. And I think the fact that the Titans have so many players on their roster that just aren't that dude, that is, is part of what shows in a really ugly way when in the late first half, second half portion of the game, they start to fall behind. The other team starts to get their goat and they don't have a counter punch it's because they only have one punch because they don't like they're just they're limited talent wise. That's that's my opinion on that topic. And I think that's a good segue into a, a, a bigger discussion that probably was going to be the, the main speaking point here on those adjustments and outside of that obviously coaching has been something that people have been uh, very displeased with uh, today and I think Kyle Wilson asked the question is it a Vrabel or Tim Kelly problem with with this team currently yeah so um, I think the answer is C personnel if, if I've been on this train the whole time I know people are different schools of thought on this um, I I can respect folks who have a coherent argument for why they think Mike Vrabel or Tim Kelly, but in particular, Mike more so Mike Vrabel is holding back this team in X way. Like, I think there are some coherent arguments out there. I'm not of the opinion that they're nearly as weighty as some other folks think them to be like, this is the main problem or this is half the problem. I think that Tim Kelly is like 5% of the problem. Mike Vrabel is 15% of the problem. And the personnel is 80% of the problem. Genuinely. I do. What I would say to those who think I'm wrong and I'm I'm really downplaying the issue that this coaching staff is for this team, let me ask you this. 
make it make sense to me how you can look at this roster and the deficiencies in key areas at wideout, at offensive line, in the entire defensive secondary, at middle linebacker. How can you look at those glaring, glaring holes that that you know the weaknesses show themselves in no uncertain terms practically every single week? How can you look at that and not say, no matter how bad the coaches are, I, I don't know what you're like. I don't know what the best coach is doing with this personnel. There's a hard ceiling on it because this ain't it. These guys aren't. You, you can't. You can't do it with this squad. You're so far from being talented enough for the coaches to really make this team special. That I, I think that you're you're missing the forest for the trees a little bit. Maybe the coaches are an issue, but you know what? A great way to figure out just how much an issue they are is. Put together, you know, Rand Carthen and, and company put together a squad where in no certain no in no uncertain terms, you can say there's enough talent here to succeed, and the coaches aren't doing this, this, or this with it. Then we can broach those discussions, right? So I just think the order of operations here should absolutely be personnel's got to get fixed, man. And there's a lot more guesswork involved with, you know, are these coaches doing a good job or are they not? I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to I'm workshopping JT a good analogy. For like, I don't know if you're if you're trying to figure out who is and isn't a good chef, and you give a chef who you're uncertain about, um, like really subpar ingredients, and he makes you a subpar meal, how are you supposed to parse, you know, whether or not it's him, a subpar chef, being a subpar chef, and it's his fault, or well, it's the ingredients. You, there's he's not a miracle worker. He's a you know he's a good chef, but you gave him subpar ingredients, so he's got a subpar product. That I, I want to give the chef the, the right ingredients so that I can eliminate that variable and say in no uncertain terms, hey, we've got a control here. Like the control is good ingredients. The only thing that can be going wrong here is the coaches. And then we know for sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think so. But it, a great point uh, that it, it's tough to say is that um, is that. Um, with this one, did they not have the go. same <laughs> roster? They're, sorry, everyone's blowing up the comments now. Sure. I was trying to find it. Uh, Counterpoints Easton, did they not have that same roster in Miami in the last four minutes of the fourth quarter against a sure. top seed? What was the main difference? And Shrike also says, because despite the deficiencies, there are four games the Titans should have won regardless. And I think that's also a, a very sore spot, knowing that essentially this team is, when you think about it, two extra points away from being it at or very close to 500 and very alive in a wild card race. Yeah, two overtime overtime home losses that are keeping them from being seven and seven and one game out of the wild card. Yeah, 100. percent That that's painful. Um, I, so so to the point of is it not the same roster from Miami? It is. It is. That's a, that's a perfectly fair point, Kenneth. I, I would I would say. And so you're asking what the difference is. You. It seems to me you're implying you think the difference was the coaching job. Uh, let me be very clear. I think the in particular the offensive play calling today was was terrible it was easily tim kelly's worst day i'm a big tim kelly defender i am confident based on the tape and based on what i know about this roster and their talent that he has been a significant net positive for a very very bad offensive personnel situation for this titans team and he's been making a lot of magic happen that a lot of offensive coordinators wouldn't be able to do he's having to like press like you know when, when you see like a player is pressing out there this I, I see a lot of pressing from this coach and so that's going to result in some really bad days like today and, and again I'm not saying he's perfect and today he was in no uncertain terms very very bad very very bad uh but 
It does not change the fact that on the whole, I think that he's been good this year. So to, so my answer to your question is how is it the same personnel? It's execution, man. Like they, they executed their butts off and pulled off a literal miracle in that game. I remember JTM seven days old. So I'm old enough to remember folks that were giving me a hard time for calling that game last Monday night, a miracle. And then today I've seen people online being like, well, that Monday night game was a miracle. I mean, you can't really take anything away from that. Like, yeah, it was. Yes. I'm glad we're on the same page now. That was a miracle game with a unprecedented comeback, the biggest upset of the year. It was a masterclass coaching job and everybody executed in key moments. They did all the things right. When the players execute, it works. And I think that, again, this is reflective of how this team, based on their talent, like take the 49ers, for example, JT. If I told you the 49ers were operating at like 75%, where they were executing 75% of the plays, 75% of their guys was do, were doing their job a, a, a decent way, but 25% of the guy, the guys, 25% of the game, it's not going to be great. It's going to be suboptimal. You would say, okay, I think that team is capable of winning a lot of games at 75% because of the talent excess that they have, the surplus talent on that team, the surplus ability of that team. With the Titans and with any, I mean, you hear any given Sunday in the NFL, this is why it's any given Sunday, even the worst NFL team, when everybody is executing well and you just get that day where it all clicks, you can win. Any team can win against anybody because they have on paper the talent to do so, especially if the other team isn't also operating at 100%. The difference is with the Titans, like in that Miami game, they had to be operating at 100% across the board to win that game. And they're capable, if they're operating like that, at 100% of winning any game. But the difference is, when the Titans are even at 90%, they're probably losing most games. Like the, the Again, the margin for error when you are lacking the talent, lacking the, the folks, lacking the Jimmys and the Joes, it becomes so thin. And it's games, it's, it's literally six-day spans like this where you get both ends of that spectrum and you can see, wow, okay, so even a team that is capable of knocking off a potential AFC one seed can lose to a B-team Texans team because if they're not operating at 100%, they're toast. Yeah, and I think AJ brings up a good point that he points out today. Uh, it showed us how big and important uh, Jeffrey Simmons is to this defense and then also says, I think it's time for Shane Bowen to go, which is another interesting conversation because of just how night and day this this team in its makeup and its execution just sure. has has looked this year since uh, well let's can we talk about this because I, there was a big difference for me today so are, do you still hear me yeah i i got you now Okay, I, my computer just everything went black and now it's back. So we're good. We're back. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think I think no idea, <laughs> no idea what's happening. So sorry. Um, so there was a big difference to me today between the, the deficiencies of the offense and the defense. With offense, it was the play calling was bad, the execution was bad, the run game didn't exist, the offensive line was unbelievably terrible. Like it just the, the, there were there's some dudes on that offense. They can do things obviously, but they, they've got real issues. On defense, it's not the execution or the play calling. It, it's the guys like there just aren't enough starting caliber, like NFL starting caliber players on this Titans defense. Like let's go through the, the this defensive starters for this Titans team. Harold Landry starting NFL caliber player. Uh, TK McClendon starter TK. Like, no, that's, that's the B team guy. Um, is it, I don't even Q Bohanna. I've already forgot. Was it Quentin Q Quinn Bohanna? I don't even know. We, they signed him this so. week, and I've already yeah. forgotten. The point is, not definitely not a starter, cali starting caliber player in the NFL. 
Uh, Jaleel Johnson starter, fine depth player, but not, not a starting caliber NFL player. Danico Autry definitely still has it. Aziz Alshair. It's kind of that borderline guy. Like, yes, he's, he's not a stud in inside linebacker, but I'd say he's a starting caliber guy. Um, Jack Gibbons. Nope. Nope. Jack Gibbons is a depth linebacker. That's like, that's a guy that you don't want starting. Uh, Sean Murphy bunting starter, Roger McCreary starter, Kayvon Wallace safety. Nope. Depth player. You don't want him starting Amani hooker starter, right? So you've got hooker and McCreary and bunting and Shair and Autry and Landry. One, two, three, four, five, six, six of the 11 guys. You got five guys out there on defense starting. And that, that's not including all the guys that are rotating in behind those five starters. None of them are starting caliber guys like that. So you got a lot of folks rotating in, right? Some, some substitutions in there, you know, Davidson, Davidson coming in and Weaver coming in and, and Coburn coming in like these uh, Otis Reese coming in. Um, Doman, JJ Doman coming in a little bit like that. That's not, you're not going to win on defense with that, with that cast of characters, man. It's really that simple. So if you want Shane Bowen fired because his defense, how many points are they allowed today? 19 with a 10 minute overtime period, 19 points. They allowed to a B team, Houston Texans team with their B team defense. Like I, mean, I think their whole defense just in general right now is a B team. I think that's silly. There's, there's no coach that's, that's, that's scheming these guys up. We just saw a, in my opinion, the masterclass performance from Shane Bowen on Monday night football with a relatively B team squad, right? No, like tier tart in a limited fashion. Jeffrey Simmons, not there today. No tart, no Simmons. Crazy how that works with the run. I mean, I tweeted this out before the game. I'm sure there's no way missing those guys is going to make this run game worse. Shocker. It was not very good today. Um, so that's, those are my two cents on that. Uh, I know we're, we're at this rate. I'm, we're going to be here for two hours. So I'll start a uh, lightning round answering these questions. JT, let's see what else we got. Yeah, let's let's move the conversation a little bit over to Will Levis and his performance today. Uh, Brady sure. asks what your thoughts on his play, confidence level on him based on the season so far. Um, your thoughts on him and his performance today? Real, really up and down day for him. That that first drive, he comes out and looks really great and shows you all the things that you're getting excited about and rightfully so from this season. Um, and then the rest of the game, really up and down. I, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not going to excuse bad play. And he had some plays in there where like the, the interception on the, the left-hand side of the field to Deandre Hopkins, when he had Burks on the opposite side, wide open, he acknowledged after the game, like I was kicking myself, should have been Burks. He forced it to Hopkins. The the, the receiver or the uh, DB jumped the route. It was a bad interception. Like he had some plays in there like that. They're just, that's on him. Like that's bad. That That's the bad Levis that they're trying to iron out. And that's a work in progress. That's, that's not, that shouldn't be surprising to anybody that you're going to get some of those plays, some of those, you know, senior year Kentucky Wildcat. Will, what are you doing? Plays. That's going to happen. They're working on getting that out of his system, and so you're going to get some of those here and there. Um, and if you're everyone's favorite comp, to him, oh, he's Josh Allen. He's Josh Allen. Josh Allen's in year five, six of his career. He's still doing that crap like once a game. The difference is he's such an elevator the rest of the game that it doesn't matter. So that's what you're hoping you get Will Levis to. Um. But I would also say, again, not to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to dismiss his performance a little bit because, guys, he was sacked seven times in this game. We'll, we'll know tomorrow when some more of the advanced numbers come out and we find out the rate at which he was pressured. I'm sure it was a lot. I'm sure it was mo like I'd, I'd bet money it's over 50% of the snaps in this game he took. He was pressured. Um, that's not, that's not, con I mean, we talked on the show on Monday about how amazing it was. Man, when you got a 50% pressure rate, 
that's the kind of thing you point to after a game and say, well, you can't judge a guy off of that. That's not, it's not, you, you can't succeed with that kind of pressure rate. And he did anyway. I'm Monday Night Football. Wow, it's amazing. This is an example of what, hey, he didn't succeed, but it was a 50% pressure rate. You can't judge a guy off of that. Like this, this is that example. So uh, it's, it's a real, it's a crying shame that they got him hurt. It's a crying shame that he got sacked so many times and was pressured so much. I feel like you you, you just got to see more because this is unfair to really evaluate him in these circumstances. Yeah, and, and I think Evan brings up an interesting point that is kind of ties back in with with Tim Kelly today. After Levis threw the pick, you could just feel the handcuffs being placed on the offense, especially on first down. And I think that's where we get back right into how how the play calling today just was not um, conducive of, of, a, of a winning offense that's going to put up more than like three points in the second half. Um, but That's then also, fair. can I just say one thing? Yeah. I'm not, I've not got a, a big spiel on this one, but I will say tune into our Tuesday live show with James Foster. We're going to talk specifically about the tendencies that Tim Kelly's offense pre Tennessee, um, what did and didn't translate to Tennessee to try to, there's some interesting things along the, this line of questioning, you know, how much of Tim Kelly's Tennessee offense is, truly him and how much of it is Vrabel over his shoulder, wanting him to do things a certain way. There's a fascinating conversation to have along those lines that I, I know James has done a lot of research on and watching the tape. So tune in Tuesday to find out just how much this offense is Vrabel and how much of it is Kelly. Yeah. Talking about that offensive line a little bit. It's one of the key pieces this season has been Peter Skronsky, but I think a lot of people after today's performance have um, kind of raise some questions because he has Concerns, had yeah. he's had a few uh, games in a row here where he just has not looked great. Um, so Jay Boogie asks, "What happened to Peter Skaronsky? He looked terrible today. Uh, your thoughts on the rookie?" He did not look good today. Again, I think folks, I know because folks told us JT, and we appreciate this. A lot of folks tune into this show and consume this show because we try really hard to be as thoughtful and nuanced on our opinions as possible. Some folks like to tune into shows and they want to hear black and white, all in or all out answers. And most of the answers I give aren't. And if that's not your thing, then go find another show. But I think that, you know, everything in reality is typically gray. And so it's important to really, um, to, to be fair and balanced as much as possible and talk about where you are on the gray scale, instead of just trying to find a black or a white answer. And this is like the Levis answer, similarly gray, but I'm more concerned about Skaronsky than I am Levis right now. He's not had a good game in a, a couple of games. Like he's been kind of bad for a month now. He's had some moments. He's been up and down, but today was certainly the worst of it. I do wonder. I mean, I, I'm wondering if he's playing through a hidden injury of some sort. I know today he went down with a wrist injury in the middle of the game, and I don't know how much that was impacting him, but I've already seen some of the clips of the film uh, here and there on social media of certain reps where he just gets, he just gets daddied by the defensive line. And it's a problem. Um, I, I don't know. Again, it's important to point out he's playing with a sub par, not really starting caliber center to his, to one side and to the other side, right. a, you know, a rookie left tackle. Who's not going to be a starting tackle going forward. So he's on an Island a lot out there and he's being asked a lot of out there. And, you know, it's the, the offensive line in general, the idea of the offensive line, it's a force multiplier unit. When you've got, you know, when you've got two good guys next to each other, they multiply each other's ability. When you've got five good guys in a row, they are, they are better than the sum of their parts. And right now the sum of their parts is, is nothing. It's, it's a Island of misfit toys out there. So I I'm not crazy concerned about him, but I am, I'm mildly concerned. Yeah. And then, then those, those are the main questions. I think we, we 
touched on a lot of things, just kind of catching up here. Kenneth says that he disagreed yeah, let's go on the, let's get some the execution of roster. I think it was Vrabel wanting to either limit dropbacks to Levis because he doesn't trust the O-line to protect him, or he still thinks Henry is center of the offense. Very plausible. Let me ask you, let me ask you Kenneth, do you trust the offensive line to protect him? And if so, why? Because they, they can't. I mean, like that that's the thing. Folks folks wonder, like, why aren't they passing more? Well, because they, they can't with this offensive line pass protection. Why are they insisting on trying to run the ball? Well, if you don't establish the run at all, and you make it clear to the defense that you can't run or are not going to try to run, they're going to pin their ear back, ears back and kill you in the pass rush. Something that you, even when, like, in normal game state, when they aren't sure whether you're going to run or pass, they're already whooping your ass. You think they're going to whoop your ass less when when they know you're going to pass? It's going to be a bloodbath. So, you, again, they are banging their head on the wall a little bit because they have to, in my opinion. Yeah, and then Polar also says, if I was Vrabel, I'd hire a bunch of new coaches like a wide receiver coach, a more experienced offensive line coach, plus special teams coach, and then, of course, Arthur Smith, who lost uh, who lost to the Carolina Panthers today with uh, – with, do we think without without panned? without the Panthers without the Panthers even scoring a touchdown might add bring him on back bring him on back I don't know bring what he do bring him home it's though. a fascinating situation isn't it because I saw a report earlier this week that was like no matter what barring a barring an unbelievable unprecedented collapse Arthur Smith's job is safe and I was like okay sure but then you you know they lost to the one in twelve Panthers and it's like does that qualify for unprecedented collapse like what what exactly is unprecedented collapse bring Arthur home is what I would say and just a quick point. Even though those tickets today for that game were forty-five cents, there still was nobody at that game. I can't, I can't think of a more miserable experience. So Titans fans can at least find solace that they didn't have to be there. <laughs> I'm going to do some bad reporting here. I saw somebody on Twitter today. I, this is a random person. This is an unverified report, but I think it's funny. So I'm going to believe. It. I'm going to choose to believe it's true. Okay, and I recommend you all do too. So let's just let's all pretend this is reliable. I saw somebody say that they work in the like ticketing front office at, at the Panther stadium. It was a us bank stadium or whatever. Um, yes. bank, of America, and something. Mer- bank of America stadium. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like the, uh, entry attendance was 5,200 something for the entire game. Um, so that's probably not real, but if yeah. it is, it's amazing. And so I'm going to choose to think that it is. Yep. Um, let's see. We have a couple more just talking about kind of the, the as the defense was, was not the problem today. Um, Willie Jean's here saying, uh, Will Levis today looked like a rookie, but having an O line that has more holes than a cheese grater will do that, especially yes, when, will. when you repeatedly put him in third and long by running the same play on first and second down. Yep. Run, run, pass is Vrabel's influence, which I think is, is a fair thing, and I think that's what we'll get to on Tuesday. I think that basically sounds up the sums up the the comment section here. Did you have any from your Twitter? Yeah, so I've got a handful of, of submissions from Twitter. And again, if you're tuning in with us in the middle of the show here, welcome in. Thank you for joining us live. We're talking all things Titans. And on today's episode, we are taking your questions, comments, thoughts, theories, whatever you want to say about this team, about this game. It, we are allowing today's show to be completely directed by you. So join us in the comment section of Broadway Sports Media's YouTube page. It's Broadway Sports Media on YouTube. Find this live stream and in the comment section over there is where you can leave any questions. So I will let those kind of pile up anew for us if we have any latecomers while I read some off of Twitter. So I asked on Twitter if anybody had any questions or comments they'd like to submit for the show. And we got a couple. Uh, Timothy Hernandez at Tim HZZ asks, should the Titans not play Henry since they are eliminated from playoff contention? Uh, Fair question, Tim. I don't think so. 
I don't see any reason why not. Henry acknowledged after the game today in the, in the press conference, really for the first time all year, that this might be the end for him with the Titans. And that's something that we've all known. You know, his contract is coming up. Um, he's aging. He's being supplanted by a better, younger back. And his role is becoming more limited, more niche. Um, he's not he's not the do-it-all guy anymore. And so I unless they feel they need to preserve him because they're gonna save, you know, they're gonna bring him back and they want to save him for the future. I don't see them doing that. Um, I think it, if anything, it's they're gonna be inclined to continue to just let him ride it out, build some I mean it's pointless ball, build some stats, maybe get another electric, like a vintage Henry game in here or there if they find a really, really bad run defense to play against somewhere. Uh, maybe the Seahawks you could get maybe that a little Seahawks, bit. Yeah. So yeah, that that's what I think they're going to be inclined to do. Uh, Stoney chimed in here as well and said, should the Titans fire Mike Vrabel and bring back Jeff Fisher? Yes, they should. Next question. OKC Titan asking Burks finally popped on the screen again. That came at the expense of Hopkins, but I bet that's more due to the lack of passing overall. How are the vibes from the receivers in the locker room? Their vibes for everybody were bad. It was all the same. They were just like not fun. Um, it's, yeah, not cool. So the, that was that was the vibes. Nobody was happy. Um, Burks did pop today. He had a. I mean, it was really just all at the beginning of the game. But he let of the team's actual receivers, he led the team in receiving yards with sixty two on the day on three receptions. Uh, Derrick Henry actually led the team in total receptions with four for one total yard, which was impressive. Um, only a twenty one yard day for Hopkins. Nine targets two receptions the the defense of the texans did a fantastic job of taking him away they saw and said what we've been saying on the show for like three weeks now jt oh look the titans have one receiver let's take him away and see what happens with the rest of it and that's what they did and they won the game so that's you know good for them yeah and i will say at least for Traylon burks i this is something we kind of talked about on on thursday's show that i it, we, we wouldn't be surprised to see Traylon kind of now get a little bit more productive because it, sure. like, like we were saying, it, it's one thing for, for Deandre Hopkins to be consistently out there with Will Levis. It's another thing that Traylon Burks has not been able to even cr create a rapport with, with Will Levis yet. And I think we saw that a little bit today. I, I, I really like the way they were using him. So I think he's in going in a good direction on Deandre Hopkins. It was like he had nine targets, but I feel like half of those targets were like late game Will Levis trying to play a little hero ball saying F is just, up there. just DeAndre's down there, down there somewhere. And like <laughs> yeah, DeAndre yeah. was doing um, both a great job of trying to get the ball, but also playing uh, as a, as a secondary player, like well, keep, is, playing. This is going to be sacrilege well. a little bit. I don't, I think this was DeAndre's worst game as a Titan. Personally, I I'll go back and watch the tape. Maybe I'll amend that opinion, but there were a couple of balls where again, they were not, you know, just plain drops. These weren't in yes. both hands in the bread basket and not at all but he has a very high bar that he set for himself. And there were a handful of these where I was surprised he didn't come down with at least one of them. You know, he got a whole hand on it and you know, it's just a little bit behind him, but he doesn't, you know, he doesn't even make an effort for the ball or it seems like he makes a poor effort for the ball. It was kind of a, it seems like a frustrated performance from Hopkins today from, from my vantage point. Does that resonate with you at all? Or do you, did you not really feel that way? It's fine <laughs> if you didn't, that's just what I saw. I, it's, it's for me personally, it's hard to kind of, evaluate him because of like the the way that those that he was getting targeted in this game like it's total 50 50 ball and it's the right credit like you were saying to to the texan secondary that that entire secondary 
played their butts off today against DeAndre Hopkins, making sure that he was not going to get even just a sliver of separation. So I think it was a yep. good day, maybe, maybe a down day for DeAndre Hopkins, but a massive, massively good day for the Houston Texans secondary. I'll say one last thing on Burks before I answer some more questions here. Uh, you know, The two big plays for him were identical in-breaking routes. He's there. I think he was lined up in the seam. He may have been lined up as the flanker, but... Um, he was on that right hand side. Wait, yeah, right hand side of the offense um, in deep in breaking route across the middle of the field. Levison in both times, a little bit of yak piled on top of at least one of those. Or the first one, I believe, the second one was kind of behind him, and he and he fell uh, once he caught it. But those are the routes we I've been waiting and hoping and looking for from Levis and like from this offensive coaching staff. This this is the way that you should be utilizing him to maximize his potential as a receiver, in my opinion, run him on those AJ DK in breakers, allow for yak, you know, let, let him, let him try to break off a safety by cutting inside and getting open across the middle of the field gives Will Levis a, just a direct target. And he can anticipate those throws pretty well. That that's what you should be doing with this guy. I, I love using him as a deep threat and he's a big fellow. Let him try to look at the ball, whatever. I like using him as a, as a yak threat, you know, the screen game. Like I, I like that creativity. The number one thing he should be doing are those in breaking or seam routes. Like let that, let him run those up and see what happens. And they did early today. And I'm glad that they did um, some more questions from Twitter here. Jonathan, I'm oh, sorry. Kenneth also on Twitter, Kenneth all over the place for us today asking, has Mike Vrabel officially jumped the shark and become like every fired Titans coach before him and their obsession with running the ball. Fisher, Robisky, Munchak allergic to the passing game, even when it makes the most sense. Again, I have a heart. Kenneth, I wish more than anything that we could take Mike Vrabel and give him a team that is designed to successfully pass the ball because he's not had one really since Arthur Smith with AJ Brown and Corey Davis and Ryan Tannehill. Like that was kind of the last time he had one that was really ideal conditions for passing. And then we would know I would, I would point to you and say, Hey, look at when he had those guys and look at how much they passed the ball and how explosive they were. Again, you probably weren't super pleased then because that was also prime Henry. So it was very play action dependent. It was very, um, they were, it, the volume was low, but the success and the production was high, right? They, they weren't passing the ball 40 times a game, but they were getting, you know, 150, 200 to 250 passing yards per game. Um, and that was, a, that was a very good thing. And it, it was working well for them very well. So I think that he's not allergic to passing the ball. I think that he is allergic to what you want. Maybe is more like a Bills, and today is a bad example because today the Bills ran the throat the ball down the throat of the, the Cowboys. But what you know of the Bills in recent memory, where it's like, oh man, the Bills just you know it's Josh Allen or nothing. They're dropping on the pass, dropping back to pass on the first, second, and third down. It's just pass, 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 pass. You know what you've seen from the Chargers in the past, what you've seen from the Chiefs with Mahomes at times. That kind of off that Mike Vrabel's never going to try to run that offense. Like that's. That is swinging too far the other direction for him, 100%. For him, I think that it's always going to be balanced in some way. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I just, I, I, I have a hard time really criticizing him, Kenneth, right now for not passing more when passing is so difficult for this Titans team. And again, a tease for Tuesday. The biggest thing for me and the most glaring thing for me in the passing game is with the Titans, JT, it is all, all either at or behind the line of scrimmage or way deep downfield. We've been saying it since week one. This Titans team has hollowed out the middle class of passing 
it's because they don't have guys that are are crafty route runners that can get open in the in the middle of the you know the middle to inter the, the short to intermediate routes that 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 craft for this team isn't there that skill is not in the bag and so it's really limiting them in their ability to have a diverse and successful passing game and so again I have a hard time blaming Vrabel for that um Jonathan Tool on Twitter asking I'd love to hear your thoughts on Vrabel personally I want him gone but I haven't heard anyone explain how he's so good just that everyone clearly knows it. I think he's been sneaky bad since the 2021 season. I'd like to hear some honest thoughts on him. I mean, we've been saying that we've been saying thoughts on him all day and all season. Again, he, he, I think that he is a, a coach that is doing as much as you'd expect with what he has. He is. I, I don't see any argument to be made that he is doing less with more because there's no more on this team. We made this point very poignantly a couple of weeks ago. There is no more to be had on this team. He's he's in the past often done more with less, and that's the kind of coach you want. That's the mark of a good coach. When he's doing as much with as much as like when you're doing the same with the same, then you know neither here nor there. You're neutral. Like you, you, you need to do better, but you're not blowing it for the team. It's kind of a hard thing to explain. That makes it makes sense what I'm saying, JT. Right? Yes. That he's not underperforming given the tools at his disposal, and so that those are my ten thousand foot view honest thoughts on him. Uh, from at Senor Obvio, which whose name is football as a whole sucks. Okay. Uh, hard evidence. Why Vrabel is a good coach. Lay out the empirical evidence for unquestionable job security without using the words locker room. Uh, we, we've done that all show. I'm, I don't want to get redundant. Um, we'll talk more about that on Tuesday. Evan A. James asking what should be the offensive philosophy going into next season? It, it totally depends on the personnel at their disposal. Uh, if they get an offensive line where they can, really open Pandora's box, which a good offensive line allows you to do. And they have options running or passing the ball and in different ways they want to operate their passing game. Then ask me then like, I, it's, you know, it's, it's so personnel dependent. I need to know who's on this team. So a good question for a couple of months from now, Amy asks, besides roster turnover, what other changes do you expect in the offseason? And will they be competitive in 2024? As long as Will Levis looks to be the rest of the season, like as long as he's fine health wise, first of all, which it seems he is today, which is good news. Um, and he continues to flash and grow. I think that they will, because he's, he's good enough to be that guy to make them competitive, assuming they spend their money wisely and do well in the draft again. And their young players, unlike some of the John Robinson era, young players who sometimes their first year was their best year. They just got worse from there. If those guys come in and actually like get better in year two, which is a foreign concept to a lot of Titans fans in recent memory, then that's going to be a good thing for this team. And I think they're going to be much more competitive. Um, any more questions here? Uh, Dodd Towning asks, are Vrabel's paw prints all over the first down play calling? A great question and one that we're going to broach on Tuesday's show with James Foster of No Flags Film, A to Z Film Room. So a little tease for that. Join us live Tuesday afternoon for our show with him. Okay, JT, before we get out of here, any more? I see, I see a couple more questions in the comments. I promise we get to all of them. So let's get to all of them and then we'll get out of here. Yeah, Shrike is still on the is still on this this Vrabel train here, and he says when you do lesser with less, that's also not great. If you need more, are you a great Super Bowl winning coach? So I think he's misunderstanding what I'm saying. He's not doing less with less. He, I, I, I guess what he's saying is if you're doing the uh, the the expected amount with less, that's not good. Agreed, agreed. Um, my counter to that would be like he's done more with less a lot the most recent example of that was six days ago. He did a lot more with a lot less in that Monday night game. And they beat a very good dolphins team. It's been far and few, few and far between the past 20 or so games where you can point to and say, wow, they did more with less in that game. But 
in the entirety of Mike Rubel's five years coaching, if you go through every game and be like, okay, he did as much as you'd expect with this roster. He did more with this roster. He did less with that roster that week. Like go week by week. He has done, he has had way more weeks where you say, clearly he did more with less this week. Then he has weeks where you're like, man, he minimized the the potential of this team. I, I think you can count those weeks on two hands at most, maybe one. And so I, that that's my, that's the skinny on that one for me, Shrike. Um, a couple other ones here. Evan James asks when they draft or sign a significant wide receiver, how does that affect Kyle Phillips for their future plans? <laughs> Man, good question. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if that, I don't know if at this point Kyle Phillips status on this team, uh, is affected by like, I, I think that Kyle Phillips, they're going to keep him and he's free and that's, that's good and cool. Um, it, he is an unfortunate combination of a very limited niche type of receiver and a guy that just can't stay healthy. And I, I will, I will till the day I die, believe that he has every bit of every ounce of ability in his body to be a very good receiver, but his body clearly is failing him at the NFL level so far inactive today again with a hamstring injury. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a bummer for me. It's a, it's a, it's a bummer. I, I, I will not, I will not back down on the idea that he is good because his, the fact that he's getting injured does not mean he's not good. It's, it means he can't stay healthy and that just sucks. So uh, they're going to need to go get somebody regardless of whether he can play for them in the future or not. One more here from Bill who says Levis has to feel like it's Groundhog's Day. He played in a run first grind <laughs> offense behind a bad O line at Kentucky. Now he's in the same position with the Titans and says a great uh, metaphor here sitting back there with a rocket launcher eating sacks. Eating sacks. Yeah. I, here's the thing about that though, Bill. Um, it's been good for him. Like you, you see some quarterbacks in college, highly rated prospects come into the NFL. And this is what a lot of the time why you see, in my opinion, why you see a lot of SEC quarterbacks fail, like hot, big school quarterbacks not do too well. And then you see guys that come from middling schools come in and do amazing. You know, the, the Mahomes out of Texas Tech and uh, Allen out of Wyoming, like these guys that, again, those are big time examples. But you know what I'm saying that it's not. The, the 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 quality and and size of the school you went to and played for in college is in no way reflective of how good a quarterback you're going to be in the NFL. And oftentimes the big school guys flame out and you can oftentimes point to like, well, they were never under pressure in college. Like they never had to deal with this, that or the other in college. Things were so cushy and perfect for them. They were a little padded, little they were little passenger princesses on their on their offensive uh, teams uh, in college. And then to get the NFL, they're expected to do a lot more and oftentimes with a lot less. With Levis, he's not got that shell shock factor where it's like, oh God, oh no, what am I? I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Malik Willis is a great example of a guy who came into the NFL and just the NFL game was a shell shock for him. With Levis, it's not. And while he's still struggling at times, for sure, he's able to have flashes and be resilient and come back swinging every time because you're right. He's been doing this NFL style offense behind a bad offensive line with mediocre weapons, kind of banged up the whole time. He's doing that. He's been doing that dance for three years now, man. Uh, so it's, it's a good thing for him. It's not good that he's still under those conditions. And again, if he stays under those conditions forever, he's going to die out there. He's going to get Andrew lucked. And so the Titans need to do everything in their power to not do that. But, uh, that that's, that's, that's the spin on, on that one for me. All righty. 
Let's do these three, these last three, just lightning quick. round, lightning round, lightning round, because somehow, some way, we find a way to go an hour. Of course, as like it always top is. Of the show, we'll go for at least an hour. That's what I said, right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely what you said. Um, <laughs> three questions here, two um, from today. It's not my fault, JT. Today it's because we had way more people tune in to give True. us questions than we thought. So it's that's a great problem to have. Yeah, great it is a great problem. First one here. What's your favorite shot to take when you're sad about a Titans game? <laughs> I'm going to go. I'm going to go rumple mints for the season. You know, J- JT. There you go. JT knows he can testify to the fact that's not really my game. Like I'll, I'll do a shot with you, but like, you know, probably the most appropriate stereotypical shot for me would be like a pink Whitney shot. Like that's kind of my speed. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah. Does that sound about yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I'll that makes a little sense. Pink Whitney. Uh, Whatever question. to make the bad, the bad dreams go away. The bad, the bad <laughs> Titans nightmares go away. Another question. What Christmas movie should I watch to get myself into a good mood? I'm going, um, I'm, I'm Harry going Potter? with my, that's what I was, dude, that's what I, I knew, was going to say. I, I was going to say Harry you, Potter. Harry Potter and the Harry Sorcerer's Potter Stone is a Christmas movie. I agree. And then finally, Oh, yeah, you got, you have one. another one? Okay. Well, I was I, let me let me think for a second. Um, put you in a good mood. Um, I mean, yeah, Harry Potter's a great movie. Like, uh, I mean, for my go-to like really nostalgic Christmas movie is Polar Express. But I think it, the the OG uh, stop motion like cable like NBC CBS stop motions like, like the Rudolph year without, Rain Day, yeah year without year without Santa, Santa Claus. Claus. Those ones are great, and my favorite one of all time always has been. Is and I I is it the year without Santa? What's what's the one where it's the heat miser and snow miser? Is that the year without Santa yes, Claus? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's my favorite one. So that's the one I would watch. And then finally, AJ is going to send us off. Um, he's going to send us off on a happy note, saying, "Easton, will it ever get better? Is there hope?" <laughs> uh, no, there is not. So for producer JT, I'm your host, Easton Fritton. No, uh, <laughs> just leave him on the darkest note ever. <laughs> Uh, yes, of course there is AJ. And I'm sure this question is facetious, but this, you've got a, got a GM who's proven at least through one draft that he seems to know what he's doing with the draft. You got a crap ton of money that at the very least, at the very least, even if it turns out in two years, three years time, we realize, man, they had a, a $90 million of cap space, $80 million of cap space. And they mostly wasted it on guys. Um, we can at least take solace in the fact that in this spring, it's going to be a ton of fun for like six months for us talking about who they do and don't sign and all the shiny new toys that they get, whether or not they work or not. I don't know. But the, the idea of them, the concept of having them on the team and getting to talk about that team on paper for a couple weeks, a couple months, that'll be fun. So th- that's the hope you should look forward to in the immediate future. And that's going to do it. I, this, Is that this, it? This, all right. Yeah. All right. The only great... other one that I had pinned here was Stoney sure. saying, I have to go. My wife just shot me an evil look for pulling up the show during <laughs> dinner. So, well, that's perfect because I just saw through my window my wife pull in. Um, and I know she's been doing wedding stuff all day and is is tired and probably doesn't want to hear me yap, yap, yapping about sports from across the house. So I'll, I'll shut up for her, give him, give her some peace and quiet and give you all some peace and quiet. Thank you so much for everybody that tuned in to today's show live. Really enjoyed a good old fashioned QA episode with you guys. We'll have a much more structured, much more informative, much more entertaining show for you on Tuesday. Again, with our friend James Foster of No Flags Film, he'll be joining us talking all things Tim Kelly, tape study, Mike Vrabel, schematic and philosophical influences on this team and where pieces of the blame pie should be attributed to. All of that in-depth talk will be coming on Tuesday live to you or Wednesday uh, in post if you can't catch the show live. 
So until then, for producer JT, I'm your host, Easton Freeze. This has been the Hot Read Podcast. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday evening. Start your last week before Christmas strong, and we'll talk to you on Tuesday.